You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. When I was a kid growing up in church, occasionally uh, someone would give a lesson or a testimony and they would reference a passage of scripture and they would say, this is my life verse. Like this is sort of uh, a verse that I've claimed or I've made it mine. I was thinking about that. Uh, you don't hear that or I don't hear that as much anymore. Uh, but I think nowadays what you would do is you would get a tattoo of that verse, you know? You'd just, you'd let everybody know that way. And uh, maybe you're thinking you would like to have a life verse. And you know, like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. That's been taken. And so maybe you're looking for something unique. The passage we're looking at this morning might be for you. Romans chapter 14, verse number two, especially if you're a big guy, you can put it right there, right? For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So that could be, now if you're a vegan, that would not work. Don't, that's not your life verse. And that's an example of taking scripture out of context. <clears throat> that's not what we're going to hopefully do this morning. I just, I was reading that verse and I thought, that's funny. I'd like to see, I'd like to see a guy with Romans 14 too, just right there, you know. Um, he who is weak eats only vegetables. The church in Romans was divided. We've alluded to that uh, as we've gone through this, um, this study this year. Most scholars think that it was a division between Jews and Gentiles. That's not, uh, that is in the context, it's not specifically spelled out. And here in Romans chapter 14, Paul is going to very specifically deal with a division and while he addresses some of the symptoms of that division, he doesn't spell out for us what the division is. And that's understandable when we think about it because Paul knew what it was and the church knew what it was. So he didn't have to rehash what that division was, but for us reading it thousands of years later, we're sort of left to wonder. And I do think it was most likely a division between the Jews and the Gentiles. We talked about how, uh, like most New Testament churches, it, it, at that time, it probably started with a group of Jews, but those Jews had been cast out of Rome. Now they were back. The church had grown as a Gentile church. And so you have this sort of division. The, the nature of that division the specifics of it, though, are not necessarily important because we don't face that division. We don't struggle, at least at Belmar Church, between a group of Jewish believers and a group of Gentile believers. Matter of fact, we never have any division. Amen? All churches face division and the potential for division. The specifics may be changed, but the principles that Paul laid out and God preserved in his word are principles that are important for us today. 
And so in Romans chapter 14 and verse number one, Paul said this, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For, as, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Paul lays out some of the nature of the conflict in these first couple of verses. Where he says that receive one who is weak in the faith but not to dispute over doubtful things. He's going to talk about weak and strong. Now, when I read that, I naturally think I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong. But lest we confuse this and think that the weak are these believers who are in somehow insufficient, but the strong are the believers who maybe are more favored. I don't necessarily think that's the case because Paul is giving instruction and correction to both the weak and the strong. See, there were those who, in their faith, believed that they could do and partake of things that others in their faith, their faith being weaker, if you will, felt like that shouldn't be done. And it seems like that the division probably followed the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews who had grown up with very specific rules and laws. Maybe you're here this morning and you've grown up in church like I did. Maybe there were standards that were preached and taught. You should dress a certain way. When you come to church, you ought to really dress up and wear your Sunday best. You ought to give your best to the Lord. Does that mean one who comes in, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm trying to look around and make sure I'm not saying what somebody's wearing. Does that mean they aren't worshiping as sincerely as you are? Well, maybe you're supposed to wear your hair a certain way. Maybe you're only supposed to listen to certain kind of music. Maybe you're not supposed to engage in certain activities that other people think are okay to engage in. 
These things could potentially be conflicts. Amen? And have been. And so one is weak and one is strong, but Paul is going to give instruction to both because both need to be aware and sensitive to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And notice with me, verse number three of Romans 14. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. We should not judge or despise another believer because of their personal standards, because if they are a follower of Jesus Christ, then God has received them. They are believers. We're not talking here about this is right, this is wrong, and we ought to all get along. If you're not on my side, you're wrong. That's how we think about it, right? But yet he says here, we shouldn't judge and we shouldn't despise. And I was thinking about this and I thought, how difficult is it? Regardless of the subject, if you're a believer and you're wrestling with something, should I be involved in this? Is this okay for me? What should my standards be? Let's take something that I think most believers probably do or should wrestle with. Think of the idea of entertainment. Whatever, whether it's music that you listen to or TV or movies that you watch. And if you don't think about it a whole lot, you probably should. And, and I can remember dealing with this as, a, as a, just an individual. But then I remember when we got kids and trying to think about what's acceptable in our homes. And then as those kids got older, sort of setting boundaries for them. That's always a fun thing to do, isn't it? Because kids love to hear what they can and can't do. Right? So, is it, well, PG-13's okay, but rated R isn't, and, and now you have the TV ratings, and I don't even understand all of those letters, and what is the standard? And what if I pray about it, and I think about it, and I decide that this is the standard, but then there's another believer over here that says, well, no, I think this is okay. And if I've been sincere about it, and I'm fully convinced on my standard, isn't it pretty easy for me to judge or to despise somebody else's standard? And to think, well, that person's not as spiritual as I am. If the standard is tighter, I can think that person's too uptight. They don't have the freedom in Christ, the great faith that I have. And if that standard is bigger, I can look at it and say, well, I'm not as liberal. I'm, not, I, I, I'm more holy. I'm more righteous than that person is over there. In both cases, I judge. So I'm going to tell you exactly what all the standards are today, and you can just follow them. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But sometimes that feels easier, doesn't it? 
And so there were some subjects that the church at Rome was dealing with that most of us don't really deal with a whole lot today. I think in a way that that's kind of good because it forces us to look at the principles, not just say, well, this is okay, that's not okay, and we can go on with it. And so both of these groups are believers and Paul gives instruction to both. There's a couple of questions that we're gonna look at in the heart of this passage. <clears throat> and the first one is found in Romans chapter 14 and verse number four. <clears throat> this message might get real short, I don't know. You can pray ever how you want to, but I've been struggling with a cough a little bit. Paul asked this question. Who are you to judge another's servant? Who are you to look at somebody else and judge the way that they're conducting themselves when it doesn't have anything to do with you? Who are you to judge another's servant? He goes on in verse four and says, to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Down in verse number 12, the Bible says, then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The first thing that I think Paul begins to do in shaping this instruction is he says, listen, you're not accountable to each other, you're accountable to God. Now, as we go along in chapter 14, we're going to see that we do have some accountability to one another. But primarily, we are accountable of ourselves to God. And it's not our job to go around and judge other servants of God. We're accountable to God. There's not middle management in God's hierarchy. And you're not it. You with me? Some of you, you know, no, but I'm a kind of a shift supervisor. I just need to make sure everybody's doing what they ought to be doing here. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Hebrews chapter four and verse number 13 says, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Listen, scripture is very clear. Revelation talks about this. One day we will stand before God and give an account for the things that we've done. And in that day, it's not gonna be, hey, listen, Bob, I'm looking at John over here. Can you tell me why he did these things and you've gotta give an account for him? You don't. You have to give an account for yourself. You've gotta, you've gotta be concerned about what you did, what your attitudes were, what your actions were, your relationship with God Almighty. And we get, a, we, we see here the things that they fought over. We've already seen a little hint of it with the things that they ate, but we want to look at verse number five. They, they fought over the observance of days. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. 
Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. And so he talks about these ideas of observing, observing of the days. Now the Jews had all kinds of regulations related to the Sabbath, which was Saturday. And they worshiped on Saturday, going all the way back to creation, right? Because God created the heaven and earth. And he began on the first day of the week, and he worked, and he created. And for six days, he created the earth. And on the seventh, he sat down, he saw that it was good, and he rested. And so the Jews took the Sabbath as instructed in, the, in Exodus and in the, the, the law. They took it as a day of rest and worship. And it was Saturday. When God fed them with manna, they took double portion on Friday. They didn't go collect manna on Saturday. They, they didn't travel on Saturday. They didn't work on Saturday. There were very specific laws. They could do, you know, a little bit of meal prep, but not a lot of meal prep. Like on a Saturday, you could have a microwave meal, but you couldn't really make something from scratch. And that they probably didn't have microwaves. But that was sort of the idea. And then Jesus Christ rises from the dead on Sunday. And from really the very beginning, if we study church history, Christians began to, to, to meet and celebrate that the resurrection on Sunday. And you can imagine all of the, as the first church gathered together, you can imagine the different conflicts. Because the, the Jews had all of these different holidays and days that they would celebrate. And they commemorated different things. They commemorated God's blessings and, and God's working. And, and, and I'm sure that many of these holidays had deep value and meaning to the people who celebrated them. And here you have these Roman Christians who believe in Jesus... And maybe those holidays don't have a lot of meaning for them. Maybe there were other holidays that they wanted to celebrate. For instance, coming up in November, probably my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. I know I'm a pastor, so my favorite holiday should be Easter. Or if not Easter, then it's got to be Thanksgiving, or, uh, Christmas. But I love Thanksgiving. Now, Thanksgiving's not, giving thanks is biblical, but the holiday of Thanksgiving, not biblical. You with me? Like in the Bible, you won't find, you know, fried turkey and a cornucopia and the pumpkins and the squash and all of that. That's not really in scripture. The principles are, but it's a made up, like, I don't know, whether it really goes back to the pilgrims and the Indians, I don't even know if that's true. I think Hallmark had a lot to do with it. Right? We've kind of made up this holiday. But that doesn't mean it doesn't mean a lot to me. Like, I love Thanksgiving. 
I love that day. I love the food. I love to sit down and watch football. I just, I love the fact that as a family, we gather together. I love that time of year. I love Thanksgiving. But if you don't have that context or you grew up, say you grew up in South America where, you know, November is like spring and, and it doesn't mean anything to you and you're like, oh, Thanksgiving, whatever, I might be offended. And to me, Thanksgiving does have a spiritual component. It is a time where we reflect on what God has done for us and we give thanks to him. So all of those things can have deep meaning for one person, but not for another. And so we can see how division and conflict would begin to arise. Can you imagine somebody that was like, hey, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna go do this and we're gonna do it on Thanksgiving. We're gonna, we're gonna eat uh, spaghetti. And you were like, what? How dare you defile Thanksgiving? I mean, if you're not gonna have a turkey, at least have a ham or something, amen? Come on. It doesn't matter. I'm trying to get us thinking in a way that this conflict was happening between the Jews, but it happens even now. I mean, what if a church has a Saturday night service and people go worship there and then they do whatever they want on Sunday? Is that okay? There's biblical evidence for both, by the way. And I have an opinion on that. But that's not what's important. What's important is that we be fully convinced within ourselves. That's what scripture said. And that we do it not in judgment of one another, but as unto the Lord, because we will stand and give an account to God. And who am I to judge another man's servant? God's servant. See, I have pastor friends who have Saturday night services. And I have pastor friends who would not have a Saturday night service because they think that we should worship on Sunday. You know what? I don't pastor those churches. And we don't have Saturday night service because it's all I can do to preach on Sunday. I'm still making my message on Saturday night. Not really. But it's not something we ought to fight and judge about. They didn't just fight and judge about observance of days. They also fought and judged about what they ate. Colossians chapter two and verse 16 says, let no one judge you in food or in drink regarding a festival or a feast day or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Romans 14 goes on in verse number, uh, the end of verse number six and says, um, that he who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. And so they, they also 
had conflict about food because the Jews had very strict rules about dieting. What they could eat, what they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat shellfish and they couldn't eat, uh, they couldn't eat pork and they couldn't eat these things. And imagine if you're a Roman and you grew up and you just love bacon and you, you, you give your life to Jesus and then the first time you have a potluck, you show up with bacon wrapped bacon or bacon wrapped shrimp. That's awesome, amen? But not if you're a Jew. You're like, I've been following these laws my whole life, and here this guy's over here stuffing this stuff in his face. And it, and it was offensive. And again, we can joke about that, but this, these, ha, these were real conflicts that people were dealing with. See, when I can look at somebody else's conflict, maybe I can find humor in that. But man, when it's offensive to me, when I've been hurt, when someone's tromp, tramping on my tradition, it's difficult. And so, again, we ought not to judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, full disclosure... 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is dealing with a little bit different of a subject. It's not just dealing with Jewish dietary laws. Here it's dealing with food that was offered to idols. That's not what Paul's talking about in Romans 14. And so it was a different thing, but there were some similar principles. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 8, in verse number 8, he said, but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. And Paul begins to unpack this same idea in verse number seven. He says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We live and die to God, but we also have a responsibility to others. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, whatever you do, do it heartily or with all your heart as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. When we look at someone else, we need to recognize that they are not our servants, they are God's servants. And we do not have to judge them, but we do have to judge ourselves. Not only that, but Paul asked this question in Romans 14 and verse number 10. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? 
I was thinking about that. The Bible says that as followers of Jesus, we do, we are given wisdom and we can be given insight and that there are times when we can judge, that we, we have uh, the ability to judge situations, to look at situations. But I think that's different than when we judge another. When we look at somebody else and we make judgments about him or her. Because in doing that, it's a natural thing for us to then compare them to us. And then that leads to contempt. Like this person just doesn't handle their business quite the way I do. And, and by me looking at that and thinking about that, I'm going to think because I do it better. Because I've got to figure it out. <coughs> Excuse me. Because I'm stronger, more spiritual, whatever it is. And we have contempt for another. But Paul here alludes back to what we talked about in Romans chapter 13, where when we love God and we love our neighbor as ourself, on this hangs all of God's commandments. And now he talks about that we have to give an account to God, but he says, why do you judge your brother? Your brother in Christ your family member. I, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, but I am naturally probably a over or hyper competitive person. Now, at this stage of my life, I'm a lot less competitive. And I would like to think that that's because I, the Holy Spirit has formed me and molded me more into the image of Jesus. And I've just kind of mellowed over the years. I also think it's because I'm getting old and there's not much I can be competitive about anymore. Like, I just can't win anything. Like, if I go out to do anything physical, my number one goal is not to win. My number one goal is don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Hey, you want to play basketball, Dad? Sure. Now, I still want to be my kids and I still want to make the basket. But number one is don't get hurt. Because when I was young, I'd be injured. You know, it might last a day, two days. Now it's like a month later and I still, I have to think about what it was that caused me to get that injury. The, the memory fades, but the injury's still there. But in my own nature of myself, man, I can be competitive about anything. I don't like it's, it happened this morning. Man, I hate those drive through lines where they split. You know? And if I pull up a half second and then the guy next to me pulls up and I hear them taking his order before they took mine. And I just want to scream out, I was here first. And then I got that slow person. This happened this morning. So then that guy, which I was in the drive through line before him, he went ahead, okay, it's Sunday. I'm gonna try to deal with that. But then I have the slow person and the next person in line, they went ahead of me too. That's too much, amen? I mean, now I'm two down. 
still managed to get my Egg McMuffin and it looks like I'm gonna make it to lunchtime. But we can be that way. We can be competitive. But he says, this is your brother in Christ. Have you ever thought about this? That person that you have conflict with that names the name of Jesus, you're gonna live with them forever in heaven. Now I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but in heaven, they're gonna get themselves straightened out finally. But we ought to be demonstrating that now. He says, why do you judge your brother? Our judgment leads to pride and contempt. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know, biblically, what they, the idea, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. You want to compare yourself with other people? You want to look at other people and try to judge yourself and, and maybe, maybe try to build yourself up a little bit? You're a fool. You're a fool to do that. Because when you stand before God, God's not going to say, well, you know what? You're just a little better than that other guy. You're good. No, we're going to give an account of ourselves to God based on God's standards. And our judgment leads to pride. It leads to contempt. Those are not, that's not being Christ-like, amen? And again, we will be judged by God. For as it is written, Romans 14, 11, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess. This is a quote from Isaiah 45, beginning in verse number 22. And listen to the context here. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Listen, we're going to give account of ourselves to God. We don't need to fight about things that don't matter. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I've referenced this before, but when I was a youth pastor living in Texas, I was on staff at a church there and Jason's father was our worship leader. His name was Tommy. What a great guy. What a privilege it was for me to serve with him. And maybe not every Sunday, but many Sundays, 
I just would use the greeting with Tommy. I would say, Tommy, what's the word? And he always answered this way. Unity. Unity. And it took me a while to kind of understand. And as I worked with him and other staff members, there were opportunities for division. But he was a man of unity. He had no problem taking his own thoughts, his own desires, and subjugating them to the desires and the thoughts of others if it would allow us to move forward in serving God. What an example that was to me as a guy who was a little bit younger and a little bit more headstrong and thought my thoughts and my desires were always the best. Turns out maybe that wasn't always the case. I was surprised too. Unity. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with standards in our own life and we don't hold firmly to those, but we don't judge another's servant. We don't judge and despise our brother or our sister. Divisions in the church happen. They happened in the first church and they'll continue to happen. But we've got to love one another and recognize that we are accountable to God Almighty. And let us focus on that relationship and in doing so, we will have a better vision and understanding of our relationship with one another. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I know as, as I have read and studied this passage this week, how many times I have wanted to put my standards, my thoughts, my ideas on others. How many times I judge others. God, forgive me for that. Lord, help me to, to have the attitude that Paul shows here in Romans chapter 14. God, that I would recognize that I am accountable first and last to you. And it is not my job to judge others. Lord, help me to seek to love others as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let this be our guiding principle, God. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.